Let's get into our word this morning. Luke chapter 10, I've been doing a series, Winning Attitudes. A couple weeks ago, I finished up a series uh, on how we took out some things, you know, lay aside weights, called weighed down. We got rid of excess weight. Well, if you remember, if you take something out, you got to put something in. And so we've been talking about winning attitudes, and this morning, we're going to be talking about compassion. Compassion. Everybody say compassion. compassion. All right, here we go. We're just going to read Luke 10, very familiar story. I'm just going to read 33 and 34, and it just says this. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, and this is the story of the guy that gets robbed and mugged and beaten, says, when he saw him, notice what it said, he had compassion. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Very important, verse 34. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Now, last week, the first attitude that we looked at was perseverance. Now, perseverance, if you remember, is the stick to itness. I said it's kind of like being a postage stamp stick to something until you get done, until you get there, right? So that's kind of the idea of perseverance, that God has called us to persevere. All through Scripture, we're encouraged that when the going gets tough, we, we stand. The Bible says, having done all, stand. It is the ability to stand regardless of the pressure that's applied. That's perseverance. That pressure can be external pressure, it could be internal pressure. But if you're going to persevere, that means you are going to set your course and you're going to push through. How many know that's kind of difficult sometimes? It's very difficult to really go through, but yet at the same time, that's what we've been called to do. Now, this morning, I want us to look at compassion. When we were in Poland back in September on our missions trip, one of the places we went to was Auschwitz, uh, Auschwitz, uh, the concentration camp, which uh, obviously is probably the hub of some of the most heinous crimes against humanity that have ever been done. And uh, uh, very surreal to be there. Um, I had a flare-up with my kidney stone. If you remember last year, I was battling back issues and kidney stone issues, and so I ended up not being able to go through the whole tour. But nonetheless, st still being there, uh, and, and John, I was reading the book that he had dropped off for me to look at, and it's just, just unspeakable horror. And there was, I read a, a letter written by a survivor of the Holocaust, and here's what he wrote. I quote, here's to a world that did not care, to those who had eyes but would not see, to those who had ears but would not hear, to those who had voices but would not speak, end quote. I read that because all around us we find human need. Listen, you don't have to go very far to find somebody that's in need. You don't have to go very far to find somebody that is going through some very difficult things. And my question to you this morning is how well do you see those around you? Again, every one of us has our circle. We have those places that we are comfortable with. But how many, how many of us see what's going on around us? How many actually see those around us? And the second part of that question is, do we care about the wounded and the hurting that we see on a daily basis? Do they do they rise to our radar? Do we capture and understand? And on Wednesday nights, we've been, I've been teaching through the book of Joshua. And uh, this past Wednesday, I was teaching on uh, Achan, chapter 7. 
of Joshua. And, 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 and so the story of Achan, if you know anything about him, he, uh, he brought great misery to, to Israel. Uh, in chapter 6, we find the uh, triumphant battle of Jericho and, and how God used the Israelites to bring down the walls of Jericho. And so as they, as they conquer Jericho and they move on into the promised land, they come up to a, an outpost by, that, that is called Ai. It's just a small outpost. It's not, it's not large like Jericho. It didn't have this imposing army like Jericho. It was just a small, it was just a small place. It was just an outpost in the promised land. In fact, it was such an insignificant place that the generals came to Joshua and said, look, you really don't need to see the, send the full army. All you got to do is send maybe two, 3,000 soldiers, and we should be able to wipe them out. It was agreed upon, and yet when you read that story, when they went against I, they were routed and defeated, and 36 soldiers lost their lives. Devastated, they tried to figure out what was going on, and, and it came down to Achan of the tribe of Judah, who had done a treasonous thing that affected the nation. One of the things I mentioned about that story is that when we sin, it is not a private matter. Let me say that again. When you and I sin, it's not a, it's not a private matter. It affects everybody around us. You know, our decisions are not made in a vacuum. They're not made in isolation. The things that I decide to do, the things that I do, affect those around me. A husband's decision will, and a father's decision will affect his wife and his children. And a wife's decision and a mother's decision will affect her husband and her children. It affects everybody around us. See, our faith is not to be lived out in a private matter. Rather, we are to live our faith as a beacon that shines in a dark world. In fact, I... Uh, James put it like this in James chapter 2. He asked the question. He said, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? It's dead. Faith, if it does not have works, is dead. See, faith is more than what I say. It is what I do. Faith without works is dead. In other words, our faith is to be lived with others in mind, not just ourselves. You see, the call of Scripture is to live others-oriented. And the word for that is compassion. God is calling the church to be compassionate people. He's calling believers to be compassionate believers. And here's the thing, having compassion is more than feeling sorry for someone. It really is. It's more than, it's more than sympathizing, more than empathizing with somebody that's going through hard times. It means that we get in there and we suffer together with them. The Bible phrases it like this, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's compassion. That's compassion. Webster defines it like this. Compassion is suffering with another. Or I like this definition, painful sympathy. <laughs> Isn't that good? Painful sympathy. Now, everybody knows I'm allergic to that one thing, right? Pain, right. I'm allergic to pain. I don't like any kind of pain. But compassion is painful sympathy. Here's biblical compassion. Biblical compassion means that we see the problem, we are moved by the problem, 
and we get our hands dirty trying to solve the problem. That's biblical compassion right there. You get it? We, are, we see the problem, we are moved by the problem, and we get our hands dirty helping those in need. Now, if you just casually glance through the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that Jesus modeled compassion. Everywhere Jesus went, he was modeling compassion. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, here's what he said. It says that Jesus had compassion on the crowd, so he healed the sick and he fed the 5,000. Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, again, says Jesus had compassion. What did he do? It was another crowd. He fed 4,000 people. Matthew chapter 20, said when Jesus was asked to heal two blind men from Jericho, he was filled, the Bible says, with compassion, and he healed them on the spot. Mark chapter 1 Verses 40 and 41 says it like this. Tells a story about a leper man who came to Jesus and it said this leper came to him and he kneeled, knelt down and here's what he said to him. He said, if you will, this is the leper speaking to Jesus. He's kneeling down. He said, if you will, you can make me clean. The Bible says Jesus was moved with what? Compassion. He stretched out his hand, he touched him and he said, I will be clean. And he was healed that moment. Now, don't miss this because Jesus, his compassion compelled him to touch a leper. Now, if you've ever sat in a Sunday school class or a kid's church, you understand leprosy was not this run-of-the-mill sickness or disease. It was a, it was a horrible sickness, a horrible disease. In fact, leprosy was so, so feared among the Jewish people or the people of that day they actually excommunicated them out of society. They kicked them out of their villages, out of their towns, and made them go live in a, in a, a, lep, a, a leper colony. They didn't want anything to do with lepers. In fact, lepers were required to cover their face. Lepers were required to walk on the other side of the road. They were always required to say things like, unclean, unclean, unclean. And yet the compassion of Jesus compelled him to reach out and touch this leper man, and he was healed. You know, for Jesus, compassion was not a feeling. It was a commitment to get involved with hurting people. One of my favorite verses that kind of illustrate how Jesus was and how compassionate he was is Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says this, he went about doing good. I love that. He went about doing good. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Isn't that good? Everywhere Jesus went, he was doing good. He was moved with compassion. He had compassion. He was tender-hearted. I, I love that because <laughs> here's the thing. Jesus was the original do-gooder. You know, today we say something like that as a slight against someone or a diss against someone, but not Jesus. He wouldn't have been offended by that. Jesus wouldn't have been upset. But he, would, he would wear it as a badge of honor that he was the original do-gooder. He went about doing good, healing the sick. You know, our text is a well-known story of the Good Samaritan. And you got to understand this story came out because there was a lawyer there that asked Jesus the question, and the question was, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So, so Jesus, as had been his custom, he launches into telling a story. And he says there was once a man who uh, got on the road and was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was overtaken by a, a group of bandits. They, they, they robbed him, they beat him, they left him beside the road for dead. Again, as the story goes, the Bible says that a priest came by, a priest who is a minister of the gospel, if you will, sees this, this 
man in a very precarious place, sees him beside the road, he's beaten, he's in distress. And the Bible said when he saw him, what did he do? He crossed over and passed him on the other side. It wasn't long after that, the Bible says that another came by a few minutes later, he was a Levite. Now a Levite was a, was a theologian, he was a doctor of the law. If there was anyone who should have understood the character of God, it should have been the Levite. Now you think the priest too, but the Levite especially. But the Bible says the same thing. When the Levite saw the man lying beside the road in distress, what did he do? He crossed over on the other side just like the priest did. And so soon the Samaritan man came by. And again, he saw him there. Uh, and, and the thing you had to understand about a Samaritan is how many remember they are despised? They were a despised race of people. In fact, a, a, an Orthodox Jew would not even dirty, dirty his feet by stepping into Samaria. An Orthodox Jew would cross over the Jordan River, would go up the east side, and then come back across to avoid stepping into Samaria. They hated them. They could not stand them. The Jews hated them, absolutely hated them. They would never say anything good about the Samaritan, which is interesting why Jesus is talking to a group of Orthodox Jewish people, and he uses the Samaritan to illustrate the point. I think it was great. Jesus said this hated Samaritan came along and he saw the same thing the other two men did, except there was a difference. He stopped, he dressed the wounds, picked up the man, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn, and he paid for it. And then he told the innkeeper this. He said, you know what? I got to go away, but when I come back, if I owe you anything else, I'll balance it out. I'll balance it out. This is a remarkable story. We read it so much, we think about it, we, but we, we miss how remarkable it is. The Samaritan, if the Samaritan had ignored this man, I, I don't have any doubt that he would have died there of his wounds. He's beaten, he's robbed, they take his clothes, they, they leave him there. And had the Samaritan not had compassion on him, I believe he probably would have died. So, so here's the context. If this man were going to survive, someone would have to have compassion on him. If he was going to live, someone would have to have compassion on him. Now, this is why we must develop the attitude of compassion. And I realize every one of us, how many know the old saying, we all have places to go, people to see, things to do, right? We're busy people. I don't know anyone today, I don't know anyone who isn't busy these days. Anybody busy? Amen. What's that old, uh, I always say I'm, 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 I'm busier than a one-armed paper hanger. You know, I mean, you just get, we're busy. We're busy people. The demands of life are heavy on every one of us. But hear me, that's no excuse not to stop and help our fellow man. The call of God is to be a compassionate person, to show compassion to those who are in need. And we have no excuse for not stopping to help those. And I, I know the objection. We, we hear it all the time. Well, preacher, you just, you just got to understand, we can't save them all. Anybody ever heard that? We just can't save them all. You know what? You're right. <laughs> we can't. No matter who you are, no matter how much you care, no matter how hard you work, you just can't save everyone. Even if you're Mother Teresa, I mean, think about it. You can't rescue every hurting child in Calcutta. I mean, you just can't do it. But you know there was one coming, right? It does not give us a reason not to help those whom God puts in our pathway. You get that? 
I can't help everybody, but God puts people in our pathway that we should stop and help, that we should pay attention to. So, so why did the Samaritan get involved when the other two did not? Well, all we know is that he was a compassionate person, and his compassion wasn't just to sit there and weep with the man. His compassion compelled him to get involved, to do something about it. He saw the injured man, robbed, beaten, left for dead, and he said, you know what, somebody needs to get involved. You know what, if that were to happen today, you know what would happen? Most people, most people I, I truly believe, in Western culture, let me qualify that, because I've been to some really wonderful countries where they would, they would give the shirt off your back. If that were to happen today in our country, you know what would happen? They would take out their cell phone and they would start videoing that man in distress. And I'm convinced that because we have moved past a place of desensitizing in our culture, I'm convinced that there would be people that would literally sit there and video that man until he drew his last breath. And then you know what they do? They post it on social media. That's where we are. You know, again, this man decided to get involved. He cared enough about this individual man that he actually does something, and that matters. See, very few people would have gotten involved. Again, I, 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 you can challenge that if you want to, but I, I, how many times have we, have we seen videos, you know, people uh, uh, in fights, you know, being abused or being beaten, and, and you have people all around that could intervene and help. What are they doing? They're videoing. I heard about a lady in New York City that was being mugged on the street, was hollering out for help. People opened the window to their apartment, stuck their head out, watched what was going on. She's murdered right in front of them. Nobody dared to get involved or call the police. That's where we are. Jesus had compassion and he went about doing good. Samaritan man Again, I want you to understand, he had no idea what he was signing up for when he stopped to render aid. He just knew somebody has to do something. I'm almost, again, I'm almost positive that when he stopped to, and when he saw that man, he didn't stop there and start doing a mental calculation of how much it was going to cost him or how inconvenient he was going to be to stop. I don't think he did that. I think he saw a fellow human being, even though he was a Jew and he was a Samaritan and they hated each other, I think that when he saw this man in need, he said, you know what, somebody's got to do something. And if, he, if I don't do something, then this man potentially could die. The only decision, he wasn't sitting there thinking about how many coins is it going to cost me and how much delayed time is it going to affect my schedule. He, his only question was, should I get involved or should I pass on the other side? That was the only questions. See, most of us rarely understand what compassion will demand of us. You know, sometimes, it will give, sometimes the help that we render to others will be very, very easy. But sometimes, sometimes it costs us. Sometimes the demand is long-lasting and it's heavy to bear. You know, I, uh, I, I, I ran across a, an individual who's been a few weeks back who's taking care of his elderly parents. And they're really, really having some struggles uh, health-wise. And, and he's, he's working, has his own family, and he's taking care of his elderly parents. And I looked at him and I said, you honor God by caring. You honor God by caring. Because so many people today would just farm them off and not think anything about it. 
See, here's the thing. Most of the time, and I realize this, most of the time we can't do it all by ourselves. Even in the story, the Samaritan, I love it because the Samaritan didn't stick around, right? He didn't. He, he didn't sit there and wait for this man to be nursed back to help. But what he did was he got him up, took care of his immediate need. He mitigated the danger right there, got the man to capable hands, put him up. And when he got up, said, you know what? If I owe you anything, when I come back, I'll balance the account. I'll make it right. So Jesus ends this story by asking the question, now, which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? Well, the answer is obvious. It's the Samaritan. It's the Samaritan. And you know what Jesus, how he followed up on it? He said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. See, in this story, it's not about the man in need. It's not the, that's, not the, that's not the point of the story. It's about those who had a chance to help and didn't. That's what the story's about. And the one man who stopped to do what the others would not do. See, compassion is not something that we just talk about. Compassion is something that we do. I, I truly believe this. If we want our communities to be better, get involved. That's it. You want your community better? Get involved. There are committees. There are places to serve in our community, run for school board, run for city council. I, I mean, there are many things to get involved. If we want a better community, then we, get, we, we need to step up and be involved. It's, it's one thing to sit out here and talk about how we want things to change, but it, it's altogether a different matter when we put skin, to, put skin in the game. That's what compassion is. So how do we cultivate this rare attitude of compassion? Let me give you three things real fast. Number one, we have to have eyes to see. We have to have eyes. You know, the Bible talks about having eyes and yet not being able to see. If we're going to be a compassionate group of people. Listen, what is it that compels us to do our food distribution? Uh, we've been, again, doing this since uh, COVID. Why, why do we continue to do that? Each month, we, you know, for over a year, it was weekly. And then because of the program change, we went back to, uh, to once a month. I'm looking to add a second date, uh, hopefully soon, because the food insecurity in our community is high. So, so why do we do that? Compassion. Compassion. You would be, maybe you wouldn't be surprised, but there are, a lot of, there are a lot of people that go to bed in America, the most affluent nation on the planet, that have no food in their stomachs. Compassion. We have to see. We have to see. Again, we can't turn a blind eye to those that are in need. This man, the Levite, came by. The priest came by. Both saw, but they didn't see. You understand? They saw with their eyes. They didn't see with the seer. And they crossed over. The Samaritan comes by. He sees. He's moved. He sees with the heart's eye. And he does something. This man in the story Listen, he represents the weary and the wounded people all around us. Can we see those around us that are hurting? And what I'm telling you is you've got to look, you've got to look past the plastered smiles. You might know what I'm talking about. You've got to look past those people that you approach on a Sunday morning and say and, and ask them, how are you doing? And they look at you and they go, fine. How I many know fine is not always fine? See, compassion helps us to develop some discernment where we look past the plastered smiles. And, you know, there are people today that are hurting so bad that they go into their wardrobe and they put on their Sunday persona with their Sunday clothes or whatever, and they come to church and they have this plastered all over that they're doing well, but they're not doing well. And if we just casually stroll by and say, how are you doing? And they say, fine, and we just leave it at that and go on, but yet we don't see. How do we minister to them? 
How do we do that? We've got to look past the plastered smiles and see the hardships, the despair, the discouragement that's all around us. We have parents that are struggling with their children. We have, we have couples that are struggling in their marriage. We have grandparents that are struggling with, with the adult kid situation. It's just everywhere. And if we don't see, how can we take care of be with them? Listen, it doesn't matter what the nature of the wounds are. You know, some are health-related, right? I mean, some are health-related. In fact, I know people that have such debilitating pain that even doing normal things is very excruciating. You know what? But others carry the scars of poor decisions. Anybody ever make a bad decision? <laughs> don't look at your husband or your wife. That's not one of them. I'm not, don't even do that. Now, there, there are people that sit in good churches that carry the scars of poor decisions that they made in the past. And if all we do is just walk past and give them a kind, a kind glance or a word, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just simply saying if we want to be compassionate people, we've got to see past all of that and see what's really going on. Because there are people that are immobilized because of the scars from their poor choices. And then you have others that carry the stigma of a failed marriage, they carry the stigma of abuse, of addictions, or, or the inability to deal with temptation. They feel so much shame and guilt, and they walk in, and they want to put on a fake smile, but inside they're, they're hurting, and they're struggling, and they're saying, oh, God, somebody, please. You never know. You never know whose answer to prayer you might be unless we see. See, our mission as a church and the mission as individuals is to have compassion and reach out to those who are hurting it's not just about us. Salvation is bigger than just us. If, if it was just about us, when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, immediately we would have been taken to glory. There's an assignment here. The reason we're starting a ministry to families is because I have compassion for what they're going through today. You know, we raised ours. They have their own. God bless them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's my, those are my grandbabies. I love my grandbabies. Have I showed you any pictures lately? My grandbabies love me. No, I'll just. <laughs> I'm concerned about what they're dealing with today. When you have kids today that can't figure out whether they're boy or girl because of what's being pushed, there's something wrong. They're battling with things today that, that we didn't even, it wasn't even on our radar. We have to have compassion and help them in those times. You know, it's not just about us. Our faith is not just about us. You know what it's about? It's about let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. That's what it's all about. Read through the Gospels and see how Jesus responded. Every miracle that Jesus did was in response to a need in somebody's life. Everything that he did was in response, a compassionate response to those in need. He went about doing good. He gave the downcast. He lifted the downcast. He gave hope to the hopeless because he saw them. He saw. The second thing, we have to have a, not only eyes that see, we have to ha have a heart that cares. There are some callous people among, not, not among us here, but among us in our society that don't give a rip. They don't. They don't care. It's all about them. Listen, meism is alive and well in our culture. It is the religion of America. Self-centeredness is the religion of America. You know, when I was growing up, we taught, I was taught a work ethic. Somebody commented this morning, I was in the early service, I went out and saw somebody coming in the building, I went and opened the door, and they said, ah, oh, the pastor's the doorman. 
I said, last week I was a janitor. <laughs> she looked at me and I said, hey, whatever it takes to get the mission done, that's what we're here for. There's no big eyes and little, what, I don't know what the saying is. There are no big eyes, little eyes, or big eyes, little me. I don't know. Anyway, we're all together. That's what I'm trying to say. That's it. Listen, we, ha we have to have a heart that cares. All three men in our, in, in, in our text, they saw the same situation, and yet only one of them cared, cared enough to stop. Christianity demands a level that go, uh, of compassion and care that goes beyond just sentimental emotions. Listen, the Samaritan saw the man and he took pity on him. And by no means am I suggesting that when you step out and get involved that you're not running a risk because you are. Quite the opposite. You are running a risk. How many understand what I'm talking about? It means that you're putting yourself out there so others can take advantage of you. When you're a compassionate person, listen, there will be people who are self-centered to the point where they're going to hurt you. They're going to take advantage of you, but you can't become calloused to where you won't care. I mean, you think about the man, the thief on the cross. One minute he's cursing Jesus with his buddy, and the next minute he's saying, remember me. And Jesus is like, okay, no problem, man. Today you'll be with me. Jesus didn't hold it against him. In fact, when he hung on that cross, he looked down and said, Father, forgive him. I mean, I, I'm thinking if I'm hanging on that cross and they're doing all they're doing to me, I'm thinking, God, Father, zap them. <laughs> hey, don't, uh, you know you would do the same thing. <laughs> he said, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. Because he was compassionate. Tender-hearted people are often hurt by those they're trying to help. If you have a big heart, listen to me, prepare for it to be torn apart. In fact, some people will rip that sucker out of your chest, put it in a blender, and puree that thing and put it right back in there. Prepare for it. But here's what Jesus said in John 13. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How? If you love one another. That's it. The dead giveaway that we're followers of Jesus is not the words coming out of our mouth. Listen, anybody can get up and say, well, I'm a Christian and, and, and sing uh, Onward Christian Soldier. Anybody can do that. Anybody can. But loving others, that compels us to get involved. Now, that's a trait that not everybody has. See, the love of Jesus compels us to go the second mile without ever giving it any thought. Jesus said, if a man bids you to go a mile, go with him too. If a man asks for your outer garment, give him your inner garment too. <laughs> Go that second mile. The love of Jesus compels us to get down in the nitty-gritty, get our hands dirty with those who are hurting. One of the great experiences of life, having take missions trips and takes teams all over the world, is going into some of the most difficult places on the planet and standing there so loving people with the love of Jesus. Went to Phoenix for the first time to pastor school in 1997. Got on a bus, drove down with that, that bus captain and a couple of people on that bus down to Skid Row, some of the worst place in Phoenix, Arizona. And we're standing there to, among the outcasts and the rejects and the, and the problem makers of society. And we're inviting them to get on the bus with us and go to church. One of the thrills of my life. Because when I got there, I sat with those smelly people. 
You understand, when you start living out the way Jesus said live out, you're not hanging out with the upper crust. You're hanging out with the outcasts and the rejects and those marginalized in society that are hurting. And I sat there with that group from that bus, and when that altar call was given, if my memory serves me correct, I think every one of them got up and went down to the front and committed their life to Jesus. Listen, compassion compels us to get involved. I read a story about a pastor who, who he and his wife, they live in an urban area, and there was a problem with the foster parenting situation. Again, much like we have in our current, in our current society today. They had an issue with foster parenting. And so he and his wife decided that they were going to do something about it, and they were going to foster a child. And one day they were brought a baby whose mom was a crack addict. And they took that baby and they cared for that baby, which you can imagine would have been very, very, very difficult. She grew up to become a beautiful young lady, healthy girl. And when they were asked how they did it, here's what they said. We loved the crack right out of that baby. We loved the crack right out of that baby. That's compassion. The old, adage, the old adage says, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's true. The last thing is this. We need to have eyes that see. We need to have a heart that cares. And number three, we need to have hands that serve. See, the world says to do what you have to do to climb the ladder, to be on top. Jesus said the way up is down. Right? In fact, if you look at when Jesus wash, washes the feet of the disciples, you remember what they were doing? They were arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom. Who was the greatest? So Jesus said, hey, come here, I'll show you. And he took a pail of water and a, a towel, and he knelt down and he washed their smelly feet. The way up in the kingdom is down. You know, it's easy for us to show emotions for those among us who are hurting it's easy to say things like, well, I'm sorry that you're hurting and I'll pray for you and slap them on the back and go on our own way. Now, I'm not suggesting you don't tell people that you pray for them. I, I, I encourage that. By the way, when you do tell somebody you're going to pray for them, pray for them. Right? Amen. Hey, I got convicted of that several years ago. I, I, and I meant well. I'd say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. And then, and then how many you know life happens? You get busy and you forget. So I started something several years ago where I stop right then and there and pray a prayer. Somebody sends me a note. On, on text message or Facebook or, or email or whatever, I'll stop right there and I'll pray for them because I know I'll forget. I'll just do it right then. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just simply saying compassion goes beyond that. Compassion compels us to go into some places that we'd rather not go and get our hands dirty. How many of you ever prayed that prayer? I prayed this years ago, and, and I'm just going to tell you, it, he'll answer this prayer. God, break my heart with the things that break your heart. Anybody ever prayed something like that? I suggest if you're not serious about it, don't pray that prayer. Because God will absolutely answer that prayer. He'll absolutely. You know, I, I was raised kind of a macho dude, you know, I, rough and tough. I prayed that prayer. I started praying that prayer. Now I see that St. Jude Hospital commercial come on TV. And man, my eyes leak. I just, I'm like, wow. See those little kids there battling, you know, hadn't even had a chance to enjoy life yet. 
you know, the missionaries, I get stories from our missionaries that we serve around the world or support around the world, and I hear their stories, and I'm like, wow, and, I, and my eyes leak. And I, I don't want God to ever take that away. See, this, th- listen, this message is not about condemnation. I'm going to wrap it up here in a moment. It's not, about, it's not about condemnation. Listen, big-hearted people always feel like they should be doing more. I, I know there are probably many of you sitting here today saying, man, I really wish I could do more, and you're trying to figure out. That, that's not what this message is about. It's just a reminder that we are here on assignment. I can't save everybody. I can't do everything for everybody, but the ones whom God places in my pathway, I can. If I only see, if I only care, and if I only extend my hands. Listen, Jesus wasn't called. He didn't come for the well-off. He didn't come for the wealthy, the healthy. He didn't come for those who have it all together. You know who he came for? He came for those who were marginalized. He came for those who were outcasts. He came for those who were the rejects of society. In fact, that was the, that was the thorn in the religious establishment of the day as he hung out with sinners. See, we have to be careful in the 21st century church that we don't erect walls around our lives and then hang a sign that reads, do not disturb. Can I be honest with you? Christianity is about being disturbed. Christianity is about being disturbed. It's about about the inconveniences. It's about the interruptions of our pristine lives. It's about seeing a brother or sister in need and then stopping what I'm doing to render aid and to do something for them to help out. Our example, again, is always Jesus. That's why Paul wrote in in Philippians chapter 2, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You know what that means? It means that while we were yet sinners, so I think about me, Mike Miser, I, I grew up in church. I'm third generation. When I was seven, you know my story. I ran away from home at 17. I got mixed up in the things of this world. Everything the world said I needed to have to be successful and happy and all that, I bought into. It was a lie, by the way. And then in 1985, in a barracks in San Antonio, Texas, Lackland Air Force Base, I kneeled beside a bunk. And I said, God, if you still... If you still love me, if you're still there for me, here I am. Here I am. Here's the thing. What Paul's saying is that God looked down on the helplessness and the hopelessness of humanity. That man, the man robbed and, and beaten, represents us. Represents us. The Levite and the priest represent the systems of the world that say, you know what, we're not interested. The Samaritan, Jesus, looks down and says, Father, if I don't go to the cross, Mike Mizell will never know. He'll, he'll, he'll spend eternity away from us in hell. And I don't want that to happen. Father, I love him. And I'll take his, I'll take his penalty because I care. And he had compassion on me. And Paul said he laid aside his divine prerogatives and he became one of us to do for us what we could not do. That's compassion. And he did it for you, and he did it for you, and he did it for you, and he did it for you. And he said, now go and do likewise. Remember, that's how he finished it. Go and do likewise. Let this mind be in you. As I close, guys, come on back. An anonymous author penned these words, and I thought they were very telling. It says this, I was hungry 
and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. I was imprisoned and you crept off quietly to your chapel and you prayed for my release. I was naked and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so close to God but I am still very hungry and lonely and cold. Wow. Wow. You see, developing this winning attitude is a call to see the vulnerable among us and then do something about it. And it's not, I'm going to say this as I wrap this up, it's not about writing checks. Listen, we live in a culture today that it's easier to write a check than it is to get involved. I'm just going to tell you, he wants your check, and he wants you. He wants your check. Ministry costs money. But don't stop there. He wants you. One of the things that my children were fortunate to grow up, maybe that's not the right way to say it. <laughs> my, being from Alabama, so the paternal grandparents we're in Mobile, Alabama, which is a long way from here. The maternal grandparents were in Louisiana, about six hours from here. So my kids were with us, some of you remember, when they were small. They were with us everywhere we went. Every, uh, you know, my kids went to, on visitations, hospital calls, everywhere. First chance they got to go on a missions trip, they went. They served I wanted them to see that, and, and, and one of the things that we try to do is provide opportunities for families to do outreach together. Because if all we ever do is talk about and then write checks and we never get our hands dirty, how will we be able to pass on the compassion that doesn't just talk about it but does something to the next generation? We get involved. When my daughter was on staff here for a long time as a children's pastor, when she left to go, she came to me one day and she said, Dad, I feel like God has called me to go to the school system. Obviously, I didn't, great children, they, they, I, she, she was wonderful. I love, I love the ministry. And, I, you know, Dad tries to talk her out of it. And I'm like, sweetheart, no, Dad, I, you know, Dad really needs you. <laughs> and the Lord convicted me and I said, you know what, sweetheart, go over there and serve Go over there and serve those people as you have seen and demonstrated all your life. See, it's not just what we talk about. It's not just writing the checks. Get our hands dirty. See, giving is part of it. And, and you know what? Through our missions program here at the church, I just got the report. Our total giving for last year missions, that's all the grand total, $175,000 to missions projects around the world. That's substantial. Get involved. Giving is part of the mission. We, we support programs right now. We have feed, feeding programs around the world. Convoy of Hope, uh, we, we've been there, served their rice and beans in Haiti and in El, El Salvador and in Honduras. We have rescue, we support rescue ministries for women that are trafficked, homeless ministries. It's there. 
But you know what? Again, it's more than that. We have opportunities to get our hands dirty. Won't you stand with me this morning? See, my prayer is this. God, as we talk about winning attitudes, and I know this is a message, and I, I would much rather preach something that everybody's jumping up and down, shouting like, victory, you know. But this is real stuff. Because what good is, again, James said, what good is it if you say you have faith? And yet you, you don't have the accompanying works to go with it. This church has always risen to the occasion through our men's ministry. You know, during COVID, we did all kinds of ministry in the community. I'm still part of the, right now, I still lead the, the North Texas Disaster Response Agency. Every time a disaster strikes, there are people here that mobilize. Say, Pastor, we going? And they'll come alongside. We'll grab that trailer that sits out there by, that, by, the, by the shed. Got all my, all my equipment, all my everything in there. We, we back up, hook that sucker up, and then off we go. And we're helping those who have gone through disaster. First one, we, uh, first one I ever worked was the explosion that happened in West Texas, if anybody remembers that. I was there for two weeks. And everyone after that. You know why we do that? Because we care. Because we care. My prayer is that God would let their help us to have a resurgence of helps ministry in the 21st century church. So let me close by asking you this. Are you a compassionate person? Again, compassion is more than just seeing. It's actually doing something about it. Again, don't sit there and be immobilized because you can't do everything. Just do what you can do. Just do what you can do. Would you bow with me just for a moment? I want you to think about that. God, do I have eyes? Ask you, God, do I have eyes to see the hurting around me? God, do I have a heart that cares? Or have I hung that sign around my, around my heart? It says, do, do not disturb. I, I got places to go and things to do and people to see. And I don't have time to be bothered. God, do, does my heart care? If it don't, would you break my heart with the things that breaks your heart? Do I have hands that serve? Have I found that place where I can touch the marginalized, the outcasts of society, the hurting? Listen, only you can answer that prayer, that, those questions. And I would suggest if the answer is, you know what, I don't, I, you know, I need to work on that quotient, my, my compassion quotient. Then make that a matter of prayer. Make that a matter of God. Break my heart with what breaks your heart. Let me see. Open my eyes that I might see. And in my heart that I will care. Into my hands that I'll touch. And you know what? God will answer that prayer. As we close this morning, two things. If you're here today and say, you know what, Pastor, I... I do, I do want to be more compassionate. I do want to find that way to get my hands dirty. Again, I, I, I say this, I preach this message, and I know there, there's so many people here that care in so many ways. Don't take the burden on like this is guilt. This is not guilt. If you feel guilt this morning, that's the enemy. Because we can't do it all. We can't do it all. Keep serving. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep giving a cup of water in His name because you're doing it. To the least, you're doing it to Him. Second thing is this, if you're here today 
and maybe you're going through a real difficult time. Listen, I, I truly believe BT is a family. We are a family. And if you're hurting, I want to hurt right there with you. If you're hurting, listen, I want you to come and join me right down front. We want to surround you and we want to pray for you. Because you should not have to carry that burden by yourself and you shouldn't have to walk alone. So while they sing this morning, you need prayer. I want you to, I want you to come and let us pray for you today. I want you to come. Give me a song. Let's show that compassion. Oh, Jesus, I need you every moment. I need you. Here now, this great spot heart, sing out your praise forever
Remember mercy, Christ before, Christ behind me, your loving kindness has never failed me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, remember love, remember mercy, that song as we wrap up this morning my mind goes back to the story of Peter who's in the boat and he sees Jesus and he said Lord if that's you bid me to come out there and Jesus just said come he got out of the boat and he walked the Bible said when his eyes were distracted catch that when your eyes were distracted he began to sink and here's what he said, Lord, help. And the Bible says immediately, Jesus reached down. And the reason I'm telling you that is that song says, Jesus, I need you every hour. Don't be ashamed, don't be afraid in the middle of your crisis to say, God, help. Because he'll reach down. He'll help you. He'll help your finances. He'll help your marriage. He'll help your children. He'll help your health. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Be compassionate. See those around you. Minister the love of Jesus to everybody you see. Father, today I love you so much. 
And I thank you for your word. I thank you for your example. Lord, I pray you would help us. Lord, I thank you for, uh, we can look back over 30 years of ministry here and see many, many things that have been done because of compassion, ministries that have been started and lives that have been impacted. But Lord, we still live in a difficult time in a difficult world and it would be very easy in the tension of our day to, to, to surround ourselves, wall ourselves in and, and just wait for you to come. But Lord, that's not what you called us to do. Help us to be men and women of compassion. Help us as a church to remain compassionate and open to those who are hurting around us. May we surround our new families and others that come in that are hurting, that just need to be loved on. Lord, help us to rise to the occasion, to see past the facades and to see what's going on. To have a heart that's moved with compassion that compels us to get involved in hands that actually do something about it. Now, Father, I pray you'll go with us today. Give us a great day. For those that might be traveling during spring break, keep your hand of protection upon them. Lord, I just, again, help us to know that every day we have the potential of being the answer to someone's prayer. So may we walk with that awareness around us every day. Give us a great day, a great week, I pray in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. Remember love. Remember mercy, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Your loving kindness has never failed me, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Remember love, remember mercy, Christ before me, Christ behind me, your loving kindness has never failed me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, remember love, remember mercy, Christ before me, Christ behind Behind me
song 